You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week four of a series that we've been calling Miracles, where we're taking a look at some of the miracles of Jesus that are found in the Bible. And this week, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, I want to talk for the next few minutes over this title, Miraculous Expectation. Miraculous Expectation. And we're going to be looking at one story that has two miracles in Mark chapter 5. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, we got a beefy chunk of scripture, everybody. 21 verses. Can you handle it today? 21 verses. Okay, this is good. Mark chapter 5, let's dive in. Here we go. Verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And so let's pause for a moment and just recognize that Jesus is approached by a guy that's named Jairus. And the Bible gives us one little specific about this guy. It gives us one detail that he was a leader in the local synagogue. And that actually tells us something about this guy. That tells us that Jairus said he was a man of influence. So people would have known who this guy was. He was a leader in the church. He was a leader in the community. And so he was well-known. He was important. He was a man of influence. But he also, by this one statement, not only was he a man of influence, he was also a man of affluence. Like he would have been a man that had resources, wealth, money. He would have been an affluent man. But notice something that before we move on and before we continue the rest of this story, notice that all his influence, all his affluence, all his fame, all his popularity, all the followers that he had, make sure that you notice that all the resources he had, all the finances that he had, that it wasn't enough to save his dying daughter. But please notice that the truth is, is that there are going to be some problems that you and I face that only Jesus can solve. And so Jairus, in his humility, comes before Jesus, and it says that he gets on his hands and his knees and bows before Jesus in humility, and just says, hey, will you please come to my house? And would you come, my, my daughter is sick, and will you come and lay hands on her and pray for her and heal her? And so this is what happens in verse 24, so Jesus went with him, and all the people followed crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So on the way to Jairus's house, this story introduces us to this woman who, by the way, could not have been more opposite than, than Jairus. See, Jairus was given a name. She had no name. He was a, a fluent man. She was a poor woman. And what I believe is this points to this truth that you can find all throughout the Gospels, that Jesus, that he is the ultimate bridge builder. 
That's who he is. That no matter, and here's the good news about that today, is that no matter how you came into this today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing in life, that means that Jesus can meet you right where you're at today. And the Bible introduces to this lady with no name, but it does say that she suffered with this chronic issue of bleeding for 12 years. And it also says that she had tried to do everything that she could think of to get better. And she had spent all her money seeing doctors and trying to find a remedy and a cure for what she'd experienced, not only not to find it, but also it has that little detail that it just kept getting worse. But what we have to understand today, church, is that this issue, this chronic problem was so much more than just a physical problem. Now, without getting too much like AP biology graphic with you, in that culture, in that specific time, according to Jewish law, when a woman had her time of the month, she was considered ceremonially unclean. And not only was she unclean, but anyone or anything that she touched was also unclean. Let me show you this in the law, in the, in the Torah, in the, the, the old Jewish law, in Leviticus chapter 15. And let me just warn you, I'm going to say some words that I have never said in the 187 weeks of our church. Um, I'm going to say menstrual period three times and discharge once. So please prepare your heart. This is a maturity check. Uh, Leviticus chapter 15. But I want you to see the context of, of what this woman's life would have been at this time. Leviticus chapter 15, starting in verse 25. It says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. Now this was the reality of her life in Mark chapter 5. Like she was considered unclean. And here's what that means. That this woman, because of her condition, was completely alone. Completely isolated. And how many of you, how many of you know that like isolation has a way of intensifying your pain? Like, it's, it's one thing when you're going through something really hard. It's a whole nother thing whenever you're going through that same exact thing all by yourself. And so I want us to feel the weight and the gravity of what she's experiencing here because she was all alone in her pain and this chronic problem for 12 years. It's not 12 days, not 12 months. But for 12 years, year after year after year, completely isolated, completely alone, just stuck in her pain until finally she had enough. We see this in verse 27, and it says that she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately 
the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. It says Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? By the way, little theology right here, right there, that verse, it points to the fact that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. 100% God because it's like I could feel something happen. I mean, there was some power that just got released in me. 100% man because I don't know who did it. Uh, just both right there. Little theology. Verse 31, it says his, his disciples said to him, look at the crowd passing around you, Jesus. Like there's hundreds of people. Thousands of people. Who knows? There's a big crowd that's here, Jesus. Like, how can you ask who touched me? Now, this story is also found in Matthew and in Luke. So it's in three out of the four Gospels. And in Luke's account, he adds this one little detail where he says, Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. Jesus says, no, no, no. Like, I understand people are touching me, but somebody deliberately touched me. And I wrote down in my journal that there's a big difference between bumping up against Jesus and deliberately touching him in faith. Like, there's a difference in that, where I'm just bumping up against Jesus, but no, I want to deliberately reach out and touch Jesus in faith. It goes on to say in verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. And I think she was trembling because she knew, according to the Jewish law, that if I touch somebody, they're going to become unclean. And now I'm caught. Now I'm exposed. But that's what I love about the gospel, is that no matter how unclean that you are, which by the way, our sin makes us all unclean, that Jesus can handle it, that Jesus takes all of that on. And so she's trembling at the realization of what happened to her. And so she came and she fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, and by the way, this is my favorite part of the whole story because in her most vulnerable, exposed moment, here's what Jesus says, daughter, daughter, your faith, your expectation has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And they had some bad news. And here's what they told him. Your daughter, who was sick, is now dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with them to, to Jairus's house except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead She's only asleep. And when he said that, the crowd laughed at him. And I love this. This is where Jesus just can, can just cut somebody. This is what Jesus says. But he made them all leave. Like, okay, you want to laugh at me? 
you out, get out, get out. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. By the way, sometimes you need to clear the room of people who aren't supporting you. Let me just go ahead and lay that out there right now. Some of you are trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to make changes in your life. You're trying to really move forward. And there's some people that are like anchors to you that do not support you, that are holding you back, that are influencing you in ways that you shouldn't. And sometimes Jesus said, it's okay to clear the room. Okay, I'll just leave that there. Um, Holding her hand, he said to her some words that I will not pronounce. And it said, in other words, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. What a story. One story, two different miracles. What can we learn from this? And I just wanted three things that I want us to take away today from this one story, this two miracles. And here's number one, is that they both had expectations, both of them. Both of the people in this story, they had expectations. Jairus, he expected that if he could just get Jesus to come to his house and to come and pray and to lay hands on his sick daughter, that she would be healed. And then the woman, she had an expectation too. She expected that if she could just simply touch the very tip of Jesus's robe, that she would be healed. They both had expectations. I also see that number two, is that Jesus met them at their expectations. Jairus is like, man, here's what I expect. You come, hey, Jesus, will you come to my house and then lay hands and pray? And Jesus is like, sure, I'll do that. I'll go with you. And then we see the woman and that she has this expectation. If I could just touch Jesus' tip of this robe, this hem of his robe, then I'll be healed. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll meet you right there too. Jesus met them at their expectations. And these two situations, this story, it points to this truth that we have to wrestle with sometimes and this truth that we see in so many different areas of our life and that's our expectations affect our experience. It happens all the time. It happens in restaurants, happens in coffee shops, happens with our family when we have kids. Our expectations affect our experience. Now, if that's true, Here's the big question that I've been wrestling with all week. That if my expectations affect my experience, here's the question that I've been wrestling with. What if Jesus met me at the level of my expectations? Like, what would I experience? What would my life be like if right now Jesus met me at the level of the expectations that I have. Let me ask you, what would, what would you experience? If Jesus met you at the level of your expectations, what would you experience? What would you experience in your relationships, in your family? What would your marriage experience? What would your kids experience? What would your friendships experience? What would your relationship with God experience if Jesus met you at the level of your expectations? Let me ask you this, what if Jesus met you at the level of your expectation every time we gathered as a church? Like, what do you expect when we come into this place? When we gather together and we lift up the name of Jesus, like, what, like, what are you expecting? And what if Jesus just met you at that level today? 
What if Jesus met you at the level of the expectation next week for Easter? Where it's like, what are you and I expecting? And then what if Jesus said, okay, next week I'll meet you exactly at that level of expectation? What would we experience? Let me ask you this. What if Jesus, he met you at the level of your expectation every time you sat down to read your Bible? Just you and him. Where it's not the big crowd. Where it's like, hey, there's some things I want to whisper to you. And what if instead of just checking off some boxes, you came in knowing like, God, you want to speak directly to my soul, directly to my situation, and that I can encounter the living God right here in my bedroom and then leave this place. What if Jesus met me at the level of my expectation? I'm telling you, our expectations affect our experiences. Now, another word for expectations is faith. A lot of times what you see and over and over again in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, over and over again, you see Jesus responding to people's faith. Like a lot of the miracles that we've been diving into, even today, there's, you'll see over and over and over again, when Jesus does a miracle, it says, when he saw his faith, when he saw her faith. Um, there's one in, in Mark chapter two, go read, where, where the friends bring the paralyzed guy and they, they open up a hole in the roof just so people can get there. Go read it today. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. And over and over again, you see Jesus responding to people's faith over and over and over again. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, tells us what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. And goes on five verses later in verse six, and it says, without that, like without faith, without the confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if that's true, I love to think about the opposite, that with faith, it is possible to please God. Why? Because God loves faith. God loves faith. And here's the truth. That's hard for me. Honestly, when I read something like that and I start thinking about something like that, like Jesus responds to the level of faith, like I feel sometimes beat up. See, I I made a decision to follow Jesus on June 25th, 1999. And for the last 23 years of my life, hands down, the hardest thing that has been for me is faith. Like when I can't figure it out, when I can't logically make sense of something, when, when, when things are above my pay grade, man, I really struggle. Like, and that's been a pattern in my life over the last 23 years. Like, I want to believe, I want to have faith, but sometimes I feel like my faith is so small. And honestly, I'll just tell you a little bit, it, it, just, I think sometimes the reason why is that I found it's easier not to expect anything than to expect something and be disappointed when it doesn't happen. I don't know if if you can relate to that, but so many times I found that it's just so much easier. I can protect my heart in such a way to not be disappointed by, okay, I just won't expect anything. And then if God does something great, but if not, then then if I do, then I I don't want to risk being hurt. And so I think it's so easy to, to be able to do that. And when I look back at my life, here's the truth, man. I see God's fingerprints all over my life. Every chapter, every season, 
every place that I've lived, during good times, during hard times, I'm telling you, I can go back and I could tell you hours of stories of how God has been good to me, of how faithful he's been, how he's provided in ways that I, that I never thought was even possible. I can tell you all these stories, but even after all that, even when I think about that, there's times where I just feel like my faith is so small. Here's the good news today, is that if you can relate to that, if there's times where it's like, man, my faith feels so tiny and I struggle with that, especially when I can't understand it, when I can't logically figure it out, when I can't think it all the way to the end. If, there's, if, if you're here, here's the good news today. Jesus says, man, if, if you got small faith, I can work with that. You don't have to have this massive big faith. Like even if you got just a little bit, I can work with that. In fact, he says this in Matthew chapter 7, 17, verse 20. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed. And so in case you are not a mustard seed tree, whatever farmer, that's really small. It's really tiny. And he says, like, even if you have faith that small, as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible Hear me, church, Jesus can do miracles with just a little bit of faith. He can move mountains with just small faith. Why? Because ultimately, listen, it's not even about the size of your faith. It's about the size of our God. And so when we look at this story, what are some things that we can take away from it? One, we see that they both had expectations. Number two, we see that Jesus met them at their expectations And finally, yes, Jesus met them at their expectations, but thank God for number three, that Jesus exceeded their expectations. When you look at this story, you see so clearly that Jesus exceeded their expectations, both of them. Look at Jairus. He expected, okay, Jesus, will you come to my house and will you lay your hands and pray for my daughter? And if you do, she'll be healed. But then all of a sudden, he got hit with some bad news on the way. Where he says, I'm sorry, but your daughter, who was sick, is now dead. And when you see that, the crowd, they even say, like, don't bother Jesus anymore. Like, the plans change. Like, leave him alone. There's no point now. You missed your chance. But here's the cool thing. Jesus had other plans. Where the crowd was saying, leave Jesus alone. Jesus said, no, 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 let's continue to go. Let's go see her. Let's still go. Just have faith. Raise your expectation. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. You see, Jairus wanted healing, but Jesus wanted a resurrection. See, Jesus, he exceeded his expectation. And then look at the woman that had the chronic issue of blood. Like she expected to just sneak through the crowd touch the hem of his robe, get healed, and then slip away just like she slipped in without any attention or recognition. But instead of just playing a game of tag with Jesus, she had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. See, when you see what she expected and what she wanted, she wanted to have a transaction with him. But he wanted to have a relationship with her. He wanted to have a conversation with her. Think about what she desperately needed for the last 12 years. 
She thought that her soul needed, man, I, I need physical healing. He's like, no, like you need a conversation with me because you need more than that. See, she wanted healing, but he wanted to tell her who she was. He wanted to speak to her identity. He says, you want to know who you are? Daughter. That's who you are. You are not your issue. You have probably been defined for the last 12 years by your issue. But you are not your issue. You are a daughter of the most high God. See, Jesus exceeded her expectations. So yes, our expectation, no doubt, affects our experience. But the good news is that Jesus is not limited to our expectations. Thank God that he's not limited to our expectations. In fact, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, it clearly says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more. I love the NIV translation. It says immeasurably more than what we can ask or think. Some translations say ask or imagine. God can do immeasurably more than what we may ask or imagine. But for God, listen, to do immeasurably more than you can ask or think, you have to ask or think something. And so I challenge you today, church, that if you are a follower of Jesus, to raise your level of expectation of what God can do in your life, of what God can do in your family, of what God can do for your future, of what God can do with your children, to raise that level of what God can do just in your relationship with him. I'm asking you to raise your level of expectation because here's what I believe is I believe God, yes, he will meet you, but he will do. And then if you do, what if he does immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine? Here's the truth. For the last 187 weeks, I feel like I've been living Ephesians 3.20. I feel like I've been living this immeasurably more than what I can ask or imagine. 187 weeks ago, three and a half years ago, on September 16th, 2018, is when we started this church. We moved to Cincinnati in January of 18, knowing one family and nine months later started a church. Launched Sunday, 642 people showed up in this room. Some of you that are in this room right now was there that day. 42 people gave their life to Jesus and right there our church started. And I'm telling you from that day until this day, despite more than half of our church leading it through a global pandemic, where for six months we had to not meet and not gather and be online and do that church at home stuff. And I'm telling you throughout all that, God has continued to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And let me be honest, full integrity. I can say this with moral authority. I have asked and imagined really big things, really big things. And God over and over and over again has done immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. But here's what I also believe. I believe that we're just getting started 
that the best is yet to come. That our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. That it will just keep getting better and better. And let me just encourage you with this, church. Like you're a part of that. Listen, if God can do that in us collectively, I believe with all my heart that God can do that in your life individually, immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.